religious activity. We're going to talk today about religious activity. And religious activity that does not produce more love is worthless. Religious activity that substitutes for love is worse than worthless. Let me say that again, because this is the big idea of our biblical text today. Religious activity that does not produce more love is worthless. Religious activity that substitutes for love is worse than worthless. We are studying the book of Isaiah. And in our text today, God through his prophet confronts his people about their fasting. And he says, your fasting is worse than worthless. And this surprises us because the Bible encourages fasting as a way to deepen our dependence upon God. It's a, uh, it's a good thing, right? So why is God uh, not happy with his people's fasting? The Israelites were not eating for a day, and they expected God to see their self-denial and be impressed and bless them, and he wasn't. In fact, he's, through Isaiah, he says, uh, your fasting actually angers me. It's sinful in my sight. Why is that? It's because their fasting had become a substitute to what was truly important to God, namely love. Loving him with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving their neighbor as themselves. They were fasting, but not doing what was truly important to the Lord. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 58. This is our text today. Starts out with God instructing Isaiah to be bold and loud in confronting Israel with their sin. And as a preacher, uh, it's not the most enjoyable part of the job to have to rail against sin, but sometimes that is what God calls us to do. Isaiah 58 verse 1, cry aloud, Isaiah, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Then verse 2 through 5, that's what God does through Isaiah. We read, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if. So every day they're seeking God. They are, uh, they Delight to know his ways. They're studying the Bible and they get excited about new, you know, biblical insight. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. These are things you would expect from people who truly care about pleasing God. But, but they were not a nation that did righteousness and they had in fact forsaken the judgment of their God. They ask me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. But but God is not impressed with all this religious activity. There's a big diff, a big gap between what they know and what they're doing. And it's religious activity that 
uh, doesn't produce more love. And as a result, it, God is unimpressed. In fact, it's become a substitute for loving. Rather than loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving their neighbor as themselves, they're just not eating. And they're into uh, kind of self-denial activities that seem impressive, but there's no heart to it. And, and it offends the Lord. Verse 3, the, the, the Israelites are surprised that their fasting is not bringing about God's blessing. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Hey, why isn't all our religious activity bringing about the blessing of God upon us? And so God answers them. Here's why. Behold... In the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. On the very day that you are not eating food, denying your uh, desire for food in order to please me, on that very day, you're not actually seeking my will and, and seeking uh, doing what matters to me. You're still seeking your own pleasure. You're still just about you and your agenda. And oppress all your workers. On the very day that you're fasting, you're oppressing your workers. Behold, verse 4, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. So what's happening? There, there's religious activity going on. and then, but, but at the same time, they're just still pursuing their agenda, not God's agenda, and they're oppressing their workers, and they're quarreling, and they're fighting. And so there, there is no love for God happening, and no love for their neighbor happening. And, and the religious activity, the fasting, has become a substitute for what God really cares about. And it's, it is angering him. It is angering him. Listen, spiritual disciplines like fasting and church attendance, and Bible reading, and giving, they're always means to an end. They're never ends in themselves. They're means to pr produce greater love for God and others. And so it's not like God says, oh, you fasted, brownie points. Oh, you went to church, check, good gold star. Um, oh, you gave to missions, well done. These are good things, but they're good things because they are to produce more love in our hearts for God and others, and, and it's to bless other people. Not So this is very important. <laughs> uh, if it's not producing more love, it's worthless, and if it actually substitutes for love, it is worse than worthless. Okay, take a Christian man. He attends church regularly. He gives to missions. He serves at the church. He is involved in a Bible study. And yet at home, he's cursing at his wife and he's hitting his kids. Does God say, hey, you go to church, you read your Bible, you serve at the church, you give money to Christian missions, and so I'm going to overlook how you are treating your wife and kids. We're still okay because of all your good religious activities. Not a chance, not a chance. Are you kidding? What God says is, I see the way you treat your wife and children, 
And so your church attendance and your financial giving and your Bible study and service in the church uh, is, is odious to me. Here's why. It's become a substitute to love. And it sends a very bad message to the world because people are watching. The kids are watching. His wife is watching. And what are they saying? Well, what, often, what sometimes happens is people say, well, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Why? What, it's because they don't see love. They're not attracted to that kind of religiosity. And it sends this false message that what God really cares about is religious activity and not people and not our hearts. And Jesus railed against this, right? He tells the Pharisees, you are like whitewashed tombs. You clean up the outside of your life and the inside of your life is a total mess and God is not impressed. Religious activity that does not produce more love is worthless. Religious activity that substitutes for love is worse than worthless. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. That kind of religious activity doesn't uh, impress God or gain his favor. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? No. So what then does God approve of? What kind of religious activities does he bless? Two kinds. Isaiah goes on to talk about them. The first is religious activity that helps us love our neighbors as ourselves more. And the second is religious activity that helps us love God more. And the first type helps us love our neighbor as ourself more is found in verses, talked about here in verses 6 through 12. And let me start with verses 6 and 7. Is not this the fast I choose? Let me tell you about the kind of religious activity that I want in my people's lives. And now he starts to talk about it. To loose the bonds of wickedness. People are in bondage to sin. Uh, they have anger problems. They have drug addictions. They have uh, pornography addictions. They're, they're bound up in wickedness. And God wants his people to set them free. To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. What's a yoke? A yoke you put on oxen so that they can carry your burdens. We're talking here about oppression. People who put yokes on other people so that they can carry their, their burdens. And God says, I want my people to loosen the straps of the yoke. People who are, who are, uh, are carrying this heavy yoke that somebody's put on them, and, and you're loosening the straps so that they can get free. To let the oppressed go free. To let them go free. They're, the idea is that they're somehow they're imprisoned in oppression. And, and God wants his people to set them free. Open the gate. Change the law. Do whatever you have to do. 
and to break every yoke. Sometimes it's not enough to just loosen the bond or the straps of the yoke. Sometimes you got to just flat out break the yoke so it can never get back on the person again. Verse seven. So, so what is it? This is the, these are the, this is the kind of religious activity I want my people involved in. Verse seven. It is, is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And bring the homeless poor into your house. Whoa. Bring the homeless poor into your house. T.D. Jakes, I heard him today. He said, uh, we cannot heal that which we are not willing to touch. We cannot heal that which we are not willing to touch. It's not enough to add. You you can't just do uh, all your religious activity. can't be from a distance, me writing checks and having no personal contact with people in need. God expects his people to invite the homeless into your home to touch the leper. When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. What does that mean? That means people are coming to you hoping that you will help them, asking for help, and you're running away and you're hiding so that they can't ask for your help. Jesus said, all, in the law, all the law and the prophets can be summarized in these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God cares about. And here he is saying to his people, look, I'm not impressed with your fasting because you are using your fasting as a substitute for doing what I really care about. You're not caring for your fellow man. You're not taking care of your neighbor. You're certainly not loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want to illustrate this, and so uh, I want to invite up my daughter, Morgan. She has agreed to be our, uh, my assistant here. So come, come on up here. Since we live in the same house, we don't have to wear face masks up here. Uh, so God created a world in which people were equal, okay? And... Uh, Men and women, equal. Uh, doesn't matter the color of your skin, equal. Age, equal. Uh, how healthy you were, equal. And so that's, the, uh, that's what us standing on this stage represents. We're, we're on the same level, okay? Uh, there's uh, economic, social, moral, spiritual equality in God's creation. And then sin entered the world. And sin introduced inequality. It introduced uh, disadvantage, some people becoming disadvantaged. And there are three ways that people can become disadvantaged. And the first way is through their own poor choices or their sin, right? Uh, Sin brought in the sin nature and it corrupted our thinking and sometimes we make very poor decisions. So I'm going to have Morgan step off representing uh, somebody who has made a poor choice, a, a sinful choice, and all of a sudden she is she has disadvantaged herself through her choices. So uh, it might have, maybe she was lazy in school and, and as a result um, didn't get a very good education and that's hindering her life. Maybe she just bought like crazy on a credit card and now she's 
deep in credit card debt, and she has to, you know, try and get out of that, uh, that trough that she's in. Uh, maybe she was lazy and didn't get up, uh, you know, was late to work over and over again, and she loses her job. And, and so there are many poor decisions that we make that can disadvantage us. All right, come on. So that's the first, the first way people get disadvantaged is through their own poor or sinful choices. And then have you step off on this side in just a second. The second way people uh, can become disadvantaged is through uh, the broken world intersecting their lives. So go ahead. Uh, no fault of her own. Uh, she's just riding her motorcycle and boom, she gets hit. And all of a sudden she can't work or she can't work the job that she's been trained to do. Uh, it maybe. Maybe she owns a restaurant and a pandemic hits and all of a sudden and the city gets locked down and, she, and her business goes under through no fault of her own. Or she lives in a, in a country in which a famine hits and now she can't, she's struggling to put food on the table. Okay, second way people can become disadvantaged. <clears throat> and the final way people can become disadvantaged is by uh, injustice. One person or a group of people pushing purposely pushing her down, so and then uh, taking advantage of her, disadvantaging her on purpose, I'm standing right there, disadvantaging her on purpose for their own benefit, and that's injustice. Now, here's the key. Here's what's important, and I want you to hear this because this could be a paradigm shift for you. Uh, I'll tell you what, I've been a Christian almost my entire life, and it has been in the last decade or so that I've become much more aware of this part of the Christian calling. But here it is. This is what I want you to hear. <clears throat> God calls you. He calls me. He calls his people to the work of lifting people up, going out, finding people who are disadvantaged, and doing the hard work of lifting them up. This is not some Christians calling. It is every Christian's calling. It is foundational to our calling as Christians. God wants his people to be doing the work of lifting other people up. Okay? And so, <clears throat> you, so you, you see Christians involved in um, feeding the hungry, the widows, the orphans, World Vision, Compassion International, and, you know, they're, they're out there finding people who are disadvantaged uh, because we live in a broken world and helping them up. And there are Christians who are out actively uh, combating injustice in the world, whether it's sex trafficking or right now the, the big discussion is uh, where is there racial injustice? Is there systemic racial injustice in our country? And uh, it's right for Christians to be very concerned about injustice in society, seeking to change laws if necessary, uh, doing whatever they can to, um, to, lift, to take off the yoke of injustice and help lift people up. And then finally, I'm going to have you step down one more time, represent. I want to hit this. Because this is an area that sometimes um, we might not be as uh, attuned to or as sensitive to or as willing to help in. And that is 
people who are disadvantaged because of their own poor choices. The Bible doesn't say help people who are hurting because of their, you know, own, uh, because of things that happen to them apart from their own choices. When you find people who are in, bound up in sinfulness, uh, they're disadvantaged because of their own poor choices, we are still called to go help those people, which is why there are Christians who are trying to help people get off drugs. And, you know, if somebody has a, a child out of wedlock, we don't, we don't wag the finger at them and condemn them. We get in there and we say, let me help you be a, a great parent. Okay? It doesn't matter why people are disadvantaged. God says, if you find people who are disadvantaged, your calling is to, to help them, help lift them up. Well done, darling. Thank you. Give her a round of applause in your, in your house. Yeah. Religious activity that does not produce more love is worthless. Religious activity that substitutes for love is worse than worthless. The religious activity that God cares about, that he blesses, is first, that which helps us love our neighbor more as ourself. And secondly, that which helps us love God more. Now, before we get to loving God more... One of, the, one of the ways we can, I want to spike how important it, it, it is, this lifting people up, how important this is to God. And one of the reasons we know this is super important to God is because of the unbelievable, majestic promises that God makes to people who are involved in lifting others up. And so let me now read uh, verse 8 and following. So he's just said, you know, if you, if you go about this business of loosening the bonds and letting the oppressed go free and sharing your bread and bringing the homeless into your house and clothing the naked, uh, he's, then in verse 8 he says, then you do this stuff, you get involved in that kind of religious activity, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. As I read these things, I want you to imagine what your life would be like if these kind of blessings from God fell upon you and your family. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Now that is startling. Here I am. I cannot help but think back to little Samuel, Eli the prophet. Samuel! Or actually it was God. Eli thought it was, thought it was, uh, Samuel thought it was Eli, but it was God. Eli. Nope. Samuel. Samuel. Samuel, here I am. It's, it's almost, God is almost taking on the tone of a servant. When you call out to me, when you cry out to me, I will be there for you and I will be available to help you. Incredible promise. And then he uh, goes, talks a little bit more about what, he's, what we are to be doing. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, pour yourself out for the hungry. This is, this is serious involvement in the work of lifting people up. And satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Then, here's some more. Then shall your light rise in the darkness 
and your gloom be as the noonday. What is that? Your gloom will be as the noonday. Does that mean that like our sadness is, is like other people's bright best days? And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. Circumstances around you, you're in a scorched place and, and God is satisfying your desire. And you shall be wa- like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And, it, and it, I'm going to keep going here. This is an unbelievable cascade of incredible promises for God, from God, upon people who are involved in lifting others up. And your ancient ruin shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This stuff matters to God. God wants his people actively involved in lifting others up. It matters to him. And we know it matters to him because the blessings that he pours out upon those who, people who are involved in that work are, are amazing. All right. Final religious activity that God blesses. And that is uh, that which helps us love God more. And that's the last two verses here. Verse 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I'll make you ride on the heights of the earth. I'll feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So apparently the same people who are fasting uh, are not keeping the Sabbath and God had um, commanded his people in the Old Testament times, the Israelites, to set aside one day a week, the Sabbath, uh, and not do work on it. It was not to be an ordinary day. You get all your work done in six days, and on the seventh day you rest, and, and you separate that day out for me. It's a, it's a time to enjoy me and to relate to me and, and do th- have a spiritual day not just your normal every day. We live in the New Testament era, and that keeping the Sabbath commandment, uh, we're not bound by that. But there, I think there's an, a, a very important principle here, a very important principle, which is we, the people of God, need to regularly carve out space from what is normal, from pursuing our own agenda, from making money and getting our projects done uh, and entertaining ourselves. We need to carve out space on a regular basis, a weekly basis, take a day, and in, use that day to enjoy the Lord, to uh, be spiritual. Okay? And that's, that is, all, that is uh, like pulling teeth to somebody who doesn't really love God. 
That is a miserable thing. It is not a, a delight. It is a chore if you're not, if you don't love God and if you're not trying to grow in your love for God. So you see how for the Israelites, they were, there's a reason they were neglecting the Sabbath. Uh, we'll just substitute, uh, we'll substitute fasting, but not, not the Sabbath. We just can't take a day off of our own agenda and seeking our own pleasures and our own purposes. Uh, we're just not willing to take a whole day off of us and, and our stuff in order to spend time with God and relate to God and enjoy God. Okay? So, let me summarize again. A religious activity that does not produce more love is worthless. Religious activity that substitutes for love worse than worthless. The religious activity that God blesses, two types. Number one, that which helps us love our neighbor as ourself more. And number two, that which helps us love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength more. That kind of activity God blesses. And of course, it blesses us. So, takeaways. Number one, don't waste time doing religious things that don't grow your love for God and others. Uh, I'm all for church attendance. I'm all for giving. That's how I get paid. Uh, I'm all for serving. We have lots of opportunities here at Clearwater Church for people to be serving. But these things, uh, if they become a substitute for you loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength, it's a bad thing. I don't want you doing that. God doesn't want you doing that. Uh, don't think to yourself that your self-denial uh, is impressing God and winning you brownie points. The spiritual disciplines are only powerful. They're only pleasing to God when they are means to that end of greater love. So don't waste your time. Don't waste your energy. Number two, beware of substituting religious activity for what really matters to God, namely loving him and loving your neighbor as yourself. Right? Do not, do not confuse uh, washing the outside of the cup with washing the inside of the cup. God, is, God, does, God can see right past all of the activity right into our hearts. That's what matters to him. Number three, embrace doing justice and mercy as a fundamental part of your Christian life. Micah 6.8. What has he shown us? Matters to him. To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. Do justice. Embrace this as a fundamental part of your calling as a Christian. Be, be willing to touch those in need, to get close to them. Be willing to be taken advantage of. Be willing to sacrifice. When we do that, and it's messy, God, it matters to God. Now listen, I know, I know that there's a whole lot of debate about what's the the best way to help people. And that debate, those are important debates, and, uh, and it helps sharpen us. The, the debate, the how do we best do that, 
That's debatable. But should we be involved in that? That is not debatable. The Bible is crystal clear on that. And if you try to define the Christian life apart from involvement in helping others up, you're just, your eyes are closed, you're burying your head in the sand, and you're not reading the real Bible, okay? And then finally, carve out time to set aside your, your agenda, your normal way, things and responsibilities to enjoy God, to deepen your relationship with him, to delight in him. Now, I, um, I was telling my mom about this sermon, and she said, well, hey, Mike, make sure you uh, encourage people, remind them that uh, Clearwater Church is gives, you know, 10% of everything that comes in, we give away. And we are helping the poor and helping lift people up all around the world and that when they contribute to Clearwater Church, they're a part of that. So that's from my mom. Thank you for, yeah, thank you for your guys' generosity, which allows us as a church to be so generous. Well, let's just, I want you to take a moment now to respond in, uh, in the privacy of your own heart to the Lord's word today. And uh, I'll give you a little space for that and then I'll wrap up in prayer in a moment. Lord, I know for me, my personal challenge is with uh, doing justice, doing mercy, lifting people up, Lord, as, as fundamental to my calling. And Lord, I want to be more involved um, in, in that because I see more clearly now than ever before how important that is to you. I'm overwhelmed with the promises that you offer to those who get involved in lifting others up. We love you. Thank you for your word, Lord. And uh, it's amazing how even when you point out our sin, it's a loving act and we feel encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.